Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 8, which says it's actually the Father talking to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Here we see God the Father telling God the Son, and notice he says, Thy throne, O God. So he's saying that Jesus Christ is as much God as God the Father is. But the text goes on to say, is forever and ever. And he has a scepter of righteousness. God is by definition holy. The Lord Jesus Christ is holy. He's perfect. He's pure. And he has a scepter of a kingdom, which means that he rules the world. So from this text, we see that God the Father has entrusted the world to God the Son. We see that God the Son has a throne where he judges, and it's forever and ever. And he's a righteous God, and he is going to judge sin. And so the only way to have even one sin forgiven is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came in the flesh. He was born, grew up. He went to the cross. He bore our sins in his own body. He took our place. He died there for our sins. And because of that sacrifice, rules the world. And those who receive Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, come into relationship with this great, powerful God. It's a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio John Block, who's one of our board members and uh, has been with the mission for many, many years. We're so thankful for him. And today, John, I'd like to ask you about uh, the philosophy of, of Global Outreach Mission. What's, what's some of the things that, that you believe are really pivotal in helping us to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? Well, I think, Brian, one of the areas of philosophy of Global Outreach Mission that has always impressed me which is uh, a fair bit different than many other missions. And that is that uh, we give the missionaries a lot of latitude in terms of their finding the Lord's will and direction for their lives. Uh, we, we are very careful in, in maintaining where they should go and what they should do and where they should serve when and where and how. We give them a lot of latitude in allowing the Lord to lead them 
in those particular things. We, we certainly give some guidance and as to where they will go and where they will minister and how. Uh, it's not that they have total free reign, but we allow them to listen to God and get a direction from Him before we put a package together where they will actually work. It seems to me we're reluctant to send uh, a novice missionary or missionary couple into a new field alone. We like to see them work at least for a time with another uh, mature and seasoned missionary or missionary couple, and uh, then they have permission to launch out on their own, even though it might be in the same country, but still in cooperation with some who will give leadership and guidance as a mature seasoned missionary. Yeah, uh, we believe in the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God directs people, and He does direct organizations like Global Outreach Mission, but if God has put a call on a person's life, then we believe that that's what that person should be doing, because we believe that God's created each person as an individual. We believe that He has gifted each person the way that He wants them to function here on earth and have ministry skills. And we just believe that um, it's the best philosophy is to allow that person who feels called by God and has a burden for a, for a specific people to do a specific job. We believe it's, it's best for the missionary and best for our mission that they, they would fulfill their purpose uh, under our umbrella uh, for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so then we send them and we do give them training. And we do have accountability, things that they need to do each month and every year so that we can make sure that they're, they're doing the work that they've been called to do. And so there is insight, but it does mean that we get people who are very creative, who are very committed to the Lord, who, who sense God's presence and sense that God wants them to do this, and it gives them an excitement, gives them a peace, and gives them a great opportunity to, to serve the Lord around the world. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Global Outreach is involved in so many different areas and varieties of ministries. There's medical and church planting and literature. There can be beach ministry and with children, with adults, of course, and Bible studies, and you can go on and on. Radio. (laughs) Radio. And simply employing the giftedness that God has given to his people. Amen. And the Lord has blessed this uh, since 1943, so we've been around for a long time, and the Lord has just given us some really choice people. The people that come to us are people who who are motivated and burdened to go out and to see the fields that are white on the harvest and to go forth and to share the, the Word of God and uh, to see people come to Christ and then have them discipled and then have churches planted. And we use various uh, devices and ways to do that. We use radio, and uh, we use medical ministries, we use well drilling ministries, uh, we use hospitals, we use chiropractic, we use all, anything that a person is gifted with and send them over to, to help. We have a lot of people who are, who are builders and construction people, and we have uh, just a great variety of, of people that the Lord has, has sent to us and has called and is using in a mighty way. John, I believe that you help recruit Morris and Mary McLean who are now serving in the Patan in Guatemala. Could you tell us about their ministry? They have uh, established a Bible school there and have had very, very good results. Uh, It's been quite amazing to see the students that have come through that Bible school and who have gone back into their homes 
to their locations and have been effective outreaches with the gospel. And I think uh, Morris and Mary are, are continuing there, although they're not getting any younger. Well, in fact, they, they would like to retire. One of the great prayer requests we have is for, for a replacement to go down there. They have a one-year program and as well as a three-year pastoral program. They have uh, they usually average around 75 men and women in that school and uh, they've been doing this for for probably 15 years and so the Lord has really blessed that ministry they have uh, wonderful buildings there they just built a new home there that they're willing to give up we're just praying that God would send us uh, someone to take that ministry over maybe there's someone in our listening audience today who who may be burdened to to go down to Guatemala and um, take over the school for us we would certainly appreciate that well John thank you so much for coming today and we really appreciate uh, your comments and we appreciate you so much uh, John's such a godly man and loves the Lord and has served him so many years and we can always depend upon him and we always can appreciate him and we thank you so much for him. May the Lord bless you, John. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program and we would not be able to continue on the air without the support of our listeners and we really covet your prayers because we know God answers prayer and we know that God sustains this ministry not only financially, but also spiritually as we share biblical truths across the airwaves. This month, we're offering a wonderful, wonderful pamphlet entitled Christianity, Cults, and Religions. It's just a wonderful thing. It has all the cults and major religions defined, and how it's defined is who the founders were and the location, what those uh, cults and um, religions believe, who God is and who Jesus is and how to be saved, what happens after death, key writings of those uh, particular cults and religions, and then the other beliefs and practices. It's done in a really nice booklet, and it's done very well. It starts out with the truth is the Bible, and then it goes and compares uh, all these different organizations. It's a very valuable little tool. This is really a good tool, especially when you run into people that have other beliefs, and you can have it quickly defined, and you know how to defend your Christian faith. Also, in the back panel, it has questions that are answered biblically to be able to refute these false doctrines that are being taught all around the world today. To get your copy, you need to write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. I would highly recommend that you write in to get this booklet entitled The Cults of Religions. Thank you very much.
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, Faith Once Delivered. Printed copies are available upon request. If a man dies, shall he live again? Both before and since Job asked that question over 3,000 years ago, the subject he raised has occupied the thoughts of millions of people in all generations. We are all keenly aware that someday we will die. It matters not whether we are young or old, rich or poor, strong or weak, known or unknown. Death is inevitable. It is only a matter of time when we will die. But is death the end of our existence? Or to come back to Job's question, if a man die, shall he live again? The reason why we need a factual answer is obvious. If this short earthly life is all there is to human existence, the logical thing to do is get from life as much of everything we can that gives pleasure and satisfaction, be it money, power, success, prestige, or anything else we desire. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. On the other hand, if this earthly life is only a fleeting breath in an endless conscious existence, if death is not the end, and we are going to be resurrected from the dead to a future life that will never end, then our interests, desires, priorities, and decisions logically must be based on very different premises and considerations. It therefore surely should not surprise anyone that in the inspired scriptures, which are God's divine revelation of absolute and eternal truth, factual and infallible information concerning the literal resurrection from the dead of every person who dies comprises one of the cardinal doctrines of what the Apostle Jude calls the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And so in this series of talks on that faith once delivered, we come today to God's answer to the all-important question, if a man die, shall he live again? Or in other words, the doctrine of the literal bodily resurrection of the dead. May I direct your attention to God's answer to the question given in clear and precise language by none other than his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 5, 28, 29, Christ says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Certainly that is clear and definite. Just as it is certain that all of us will die, it is equally certain that all of us will in due course be literally resurrected from the dead. Job, who asked the question, if a man dies, shall he live again, was certain that the answer is yes, as revealed by his statement in Job 19.25, where he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Yes, my friend, your death will not end your existence. Just as certain as there is conscious life beyond the grave for your soul, there will also come a day in which your physical body 
will be literally resurrected from the dead, never to die again. In the light of such knowledge gained from the revelation of God in the inspired scriptures, surely you owe it to yourself to order your life and establish your priorities and make your decisions in keeping with such knowledge. May I ask you now to consider what the scriptures tell us about the characteristics of the body with which we will be resurrected. The Apostle Paul addresses this matter in his first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 15, beginning at verse 35. He says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool! That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Paul here is speaking of the resurrection of believers in Christ. Unbelievers are in a different category, as we will see in a moment. Believers in Christ will be resurrected with the same but not identical body. Through the process of death and resurrection, God will remove all imperfections and proneness to corruption, dishonor, weakness, and so on. They will be raised with glorified bodies made like unto the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. He had the same but not the identical body after his resurrection. It was a body of flesh and bones. It retained the nail prints in his hands and feet and the spear wound in his side. But it was a glorified body, freed from the laws of physics so that he entered rooms where the doors were shut and vanished from view after speaking with his disciples and confirming his resurrection. Handle me and see, he told them, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. Philippians 3.21 tells us that at our resurrection, when Christ appears to remove his church from this earth, he shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul further says in 1 Corinthians 15:49, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. He goes on in the same chapter to explain that people will not all be resurrected at the same time. There will be two separate resurrections, and the first will take place in two phases. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 22, we read, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. 
for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now look carefully at what this tells us. The first phase of the first resurrection will be of those described as Christ the first fruits. This is a biblical term used to describe Christ's church or mystical body. Believers in Christ who have died during this present church age of God's grace will be the first body of people to be raised from the dead. In our earlier consideration of the appearing of Christ to remove his church from the earth, we noted that the resurrection of those who have died trusting in Christ coincides with the transformation and translation of living believers who will be caught up together with those resurrected to meet the Lord in the air. We examine 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, which reads, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the first phase of what the scriptures call the resurrection of the just, or resurrection of life. The second phase of the resurrection of the just will take place when Christ returns with his church to set up his millennial kingdom on this earth. Paul refers to this phase as the resurrection of they that are Christ at his coming. He is referring to the Old Testament saints, the majority of whom will be saints of the house of Israel. The scriptures say of Christ's first advent, He came unto his own, that is to Israel, and his own received him not. Under the covenant God made with Abram, he affirmed that Abram's descendants through Isaac and Jacob, in other words, the house of Israel, would be his own chosen people. When Christ returns to earth the second time, they will be resurrected, and together with the dispersed of the tribes of Israel, whom Christ will regather to Palestine, well, as he says in Matthew 8:11, sit down with Abram and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. For the thousand years of Christ's earthly reign, they will be the citizens of his kingdom. Paul goes on to say, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. At that time, the resurrection of the unbelieving dead of all ages, referred to in the scriptures as the resurrection of damnation, will take place. It is described by the Apostle John in Revelation 20, verses 4 and 6 make reference to those raised in the first resurrection, living and reigning with Christ during his millennial kingdom. John says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. In verse 5 he says, The rest of the dead, that is the unbelieving dead, lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Then beginning in verse 11, John describes the scene when the resurrection of the unbelieving dead takes place. It says, I saw a great white throne, 
and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God willing, we'll look more closely at the judgment aspect of the resurrected unbelievers in our next talk on this series. The vital fact I leave with you today is the fact that as surely as every person born into this life will die, so every person who dies someday will be resurrected from the dead. If a man die, shall he live again? The answer is an unequivocal yes. Surely there's nothing unbelievable in an omnipotent God bringing back to life those who have died. He who in the beginning formed man in his own image from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life certainly has the power to resurrect from the dead those from whose mortal bodies that life was temporarily removed. Paul said to King Agrippa, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Having regard to God's omnipotence, there isn't anything incredible about it. And as proof that God can and has raised the dead, Paul pointed to Christ's literal bodily resurrection as a fact established beyond all question by many infallible proofs. The doctrine of the literal bodily resurrection of the dead is one more of the cardinal truths affirmed and confirmed in the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It is a truth you cannot afford to ignore. You, my friend, are going to live on somewhere in a conscious state forever and forever and forever. The few short years of this present earthly life are but a fleeting moment compared with the eternity which stretches before you. Like everyone else, someday you will die. But physical death isn't the end. Your soul will continue in conscious existence beyond the grave. And someday your body will be resurrected and reunited with your soul and spirit, and you will live on forever and forever. In the light of these facts, surely the decisions you make now, the priorities you set, how you use your time, what you do and say, how you live, should all be decided in the light of your eternal existence, not merely in the context of the few short years of this present life. Above all, be sure you understand that your eternal destiny and the nature of your unending life to come hinges above all else on your personal relationship with the living Christ who died for you and was then... I trust the message you just heard will be a great blessing to you throughout this week. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're always concerned about those who do listen. We know that many that listen to this broadcast are born again and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there may be some who have never received Christ as their personal Savior. And to those folks, I'd just like to share 
that the Bible teaches that of all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every person that ever lived, including myself, we've all sinned, and because of that, we need a Savior. And the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the payment for your sin is spiritual death, which is separated from God, but also means that you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to the word of God. And so the gospel is very clear. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He left the glories of heaven and and took on flesh. He was a God-man. Jesus bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He took our place. He took our hell, he died, and he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says that through grace, by grace, through faith, that you're saved. So you need to exercise faith. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches you will be saved if you're sincere. To order your copy of the Cults and Religions, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also visit us on the web at www.missiongo.org. And please remember us in your prayers, and I trust that God will continue to bless you throughout this next week.